Hello, everyone. Welcome to this weekend's worship at CVL. My name is Tim Spiegelberg. It's my privilege to be the pastor at Carbon Valley Lutheran right here in beautiful Firestone, Colorado. Happy that you're joining us this weekend, virtually, digitally, whatever it is, um, and just, just happy that you're, you're tuning in. So uh, today we are starting the first sermon in our Lenten series entitled Lenten Ironies. And so we're going to look a little bit at some of the ironic things that happened during the last week of Jesus' life and leading up to it, and some of the kind of counterintuitive things that, that took place that ultimately uh, led to, to our victory uh, in Christ. Uh, and so as we get started, as always, just a few announcements of things that are happening in and around at CBL. And so if you want a full listing of these announcements, uh, take a look at the bulletin. You're going to find that, of course, online, as always. Um, you'll find all the details, but real quickly, real briefly, uh, first is our Love Local Neighbors Helping Neighbors gift card giveaway is going to be rolling out this coming week. Uh, so it's probably going to be a Sunday or a Monday rollout. So watch for that. A uh, really wonderful way that we're going to be able to help the people in our community, help some of the small businesses, restaurants in our community, hopefully make some connections and, uh, and, and connect people to Jesus ultimately. Uh, second, third, and fourth thing today is there's three things going on with the ladies group, our Carbon Ladies. Um, their next Gather and Grow event is going to be March 7th at 8 a.m. via Zoom. So that's going to be a, a discussion led by, um, by Ashley Jones. Uh, second thing is their spring Bible study is going to be rolling out March 12th through April 9th. And you ladies are going to be going through the book, He Chose the Nails by Max Lucado. So um, if you want to join either of these things, you'll find the contact information in the bulletin, you're going to reach out to Lisa McGathy, uh, who is our ladies group coordinator right now, and she'll be able to, to get you squared away. Last thing is, during this month, um, we're leading towards kind of towards the end of it. Uh, the ladies online super silent auction is still going. So if you haven't had a chance to look at some of those gifts, gift baskets, um, we'd love to, to have you bid on them. And remember, all of the monies that are, are raised from that auction go directly towards our ladies ministry to do things just like uh, we were able to announce today. So. Those are all the opening announcements. Let's begin the worship of our Lord then this weekend. As always, you're going to be able to find everything you need in your service folder uh, or on the screen in front of you, but that's going to generally kind of guide you through uh, the worship of our Lord this weekend. And so without further ado, let's begin that worship with our invocation and confession. We make our beginning in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear friends, let us approach God with a true heart and confess our sins, asking him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us. And let's speak these words together uh, um, with me or with whomever you're, you're with at home. Lord of life, I confess that I am by nature dead in sin, for faithless worrying and selfish pride, for sins of habit and sins of choice, for the evil I have done, and the good I have failed to do, you should cast me away from your presence forever. O Lord, I am sorry for my sins. Forgive me for Jesus' sake. And now take a few moments of silence for personal repentance. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. In his great mercy, God made us alive, made you alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our sins. And so hear Jesus' words to you. I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. 
Lord, as we begin our walk toward Easter, let these 40 days move us toward repentance and sorrow over sin, but also the joy that comes with knowing that Lent isn't a tragedy, it's a victory. Your victory over death and our forgiveness. Help us see the necessity of your death so that all will and will uh, would live eternally. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. And at this time, we continue with our children's lesson. So if you've got little ones in the house, toddlers running around, this is a great time to gather them together because I've got a gospel message that's intended just for them. Hi, kids. Thanks for joining me today. I am happy that you are here, uh, that you get to hear about Jesus and his word. I brought something along for you here today, and you might have some of these at your house. Do any of you have dominoes at your house? You maybe do, right? Um, you want to know one of the funnest thing about dominoes is you can tip them over. Have you ever lined up dominoes? Well, guess what? I did it for you here. It took me a little bit of time, but I lined up all of these dominoes. And what do you think happens if I push over one of those dominoes? Yeah, all the other dominoes will fall. And that's a pretty good example of what we would call cause and effect of, of one thing resulting in something else. Well, I set up these dominoes for you and I put 40 of them here. And that was for a, a specific reason. We are just starting the season that Christians call Lent. And that means where we celebrate 40 days until we celebrate Jesus' resurrection coming back to life on Easter Sunday. So 40 days until Easter Sunday, not counting actual Sundays, but 40 days until Easter Sunday. So I brought 40 dominoes along. And this is maybe a great time for us to remember what happened with Jesus that ultimately leads to Easter Sunday. Today, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see how what Jesus did, the actions Jesus took, result in you and I being forgiven. Cause and effect, right? Jesus gives his life so that you and I can go to heaven. Should we see that in the dominoes? Should I tip one over? Okay, why don't you watch carefully? Let's see if they all go. Ha ha, there they go. It's a great example of remembering at Lent what Jesus did results in us being forgiven and loved. So let's fold our hands and pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for going to the cross. Your death and resurrection mean that we are forgiven that we are loved and we will be in heaven with you. Help us remember that this 40 days of Lent as we celebrate and look forward to celebrating Easter Sunday. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for coming, kids. At this time, we continue with our readings for this weekend. And our first selection is taken from the New Testament book, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 18 through 31, and this is really a wonderful section because Paul talks directly about um, the, the, the irony at times of Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, in this selection, he talks about how the cross is foolishness. So this kind of counterintuitive 
um, reality of who Jesus was, what he was doing, but ultimately leads to our resurrection and forgiveness. So we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of our Lord. Now we continue with our gospel reading for this weekend. We're reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 11. We're going to read verses 45 through 53. This will be what our sermon is based on this weekend as well. Read from John, chapter 11, beginning at verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. This is the gospel of our Lord. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, I'm happy that you're joining us on this Lenten journey. Uh, today, as I mentioned earlier, is the first Sunday in Lent. And so we have um, a little less than 40 days now towards Easter and celebrating that Easter resurrection. Uh, and so we're starting the very first sermon in our Lenten series called Lenten Ironies. And so we're going to look at uh, some of those ironic components of the last days and week and months of Jesus' life, um, some of the counterintuitive things that, that took place, but ultimately that God used and worked for our good. And so today our theme is going to be one death. That's specifically what we're going to look at. And this is a great place to start um, within our text because 
uh, this is really one of the first dominoes that need to that that was tipped that ultimately resulted in in incredible things for you and I. Now that domino effect uh, you got to see in the children's lesson, and it's kind of fun to tip one of those dominoes and see all the things and all the chain reaction that comes from it. And, and I think we're, we're pretty familiar with that, right? We, as adults, we understand that, that cause and effect, that, that um, doing one thing can result in something else. Uh, the other thing that I think as adults, what we quickly realize is that sometimes um, that one thing, that one domino that falls, um, we can't always predict the results that are going to come. But what's really fascinating is, is that um, those dominoes and that chain reaction that was happening uh, can, can kind of snake its way around. But a real fascinating thing called geometric growth also can happen with that domino effect. And because of copyright reasons, I can't put the video on for you. Um, but you can go online afterwards and, and just Google uh, domino effect or, or geometric growth. And what's really fascinating about dominoes is that um, a, a domino can tip over a domino that's about uh, um, one and a half times bigger than itself. So um, you're going to be able to see a picture on our screen uh, of that exact principle. And so each domino can be about one and a half times bigger than the one before it. And that small domino will knock over a little bit larger domino and a little bit larger than that, larger than that, larger than that. And in theory, we could go up to as big as the Eiffel Tower, right? Um, but that's called geometric growth. And so what's really fascinating about that level of domino effect, uh, as, as we might put it, is that something that is so small can have an outsized result. Something so small can have an incredibly world-changing impact. And I think that's a good illustration for what we're going to see today because we run into a man named Caiaphas who thinks that this is a very small domino to fall named Jesus, um, a carpenter's son from Nazareth. But we are going to see the incredible outsized uh, outcome of Jesus, his ministry, and ultimately how that affects us today. So, uh, so that's our theme is going to be simply today is one death. So we're going to just start at that first domino uh, as we kind of walk our path towards Easter Sunday. Now, uh, we need to set up the, the, the context a little bit of our text here today uh, because it jumps into an existing narrative that was already happening. In fact, verse 45 starts with therefore. So anytime in the Bible when you hear therefore, um, you, you know that it's referring to what immediately came before it. In the case of our text here today, what had just come before it was Jesus had performed what would arguably be one of his greatest miracles. He had raised Lazarus from the dead. So Lazarus was a friend of Jesus, uh, someone that he had wept over when he had heard that he had died. And after four days in the grave, Jesus rose Lazarus back to life. And so that's what had just taken place. So an incredible miracle, um, um, power, demonstrated power over death. Um, even death after four days. And that's really what leads us into this, this first domino that's going to fall and ultimately lead to Jesus' cross uh, and, his, and his death on it. And so let's jump into our text today. And I'm going to kind of divide it up in this way um, because I, I think the real, uh, the real thing that we're going to be wrestling with today is, is the use of power. So how do we use power? How does God use power? Um, how is that power... Uh, um, um, wielded 
is it for ourselves or for the good of others? And so our text kind of, kind of fulcrums around that central verse uh, in verse 50. You do not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. That single verse, verse 50, kind of becomes the dividing point. And so we're going to look at how the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas wield their power. And then we'll look at how God wields his power and ultimately the results for us uh, as human beings, not only spiritually and eternally, but also just for our daily living. So, so let's jump into our text. I'm going to read for you verses 45 through 50. And we're going to look specifically at that, at um, how that earthly power by earthly men was wielded. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. Now, remember what they had seen was that Lazarus had been raised from the dead. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. So we kind of get thrown into it um, with, with this group of people that are reacting specifically to this miracle that Jesus had performed of raising Lazarus from the dead. And, and it was remarkable. In fact, what's really fascinating about this is that Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin and, and uh, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees concede the point that Jesus was performing miracles. And uh, we may not catch that at first, but uh, you read this text and at no point do they argue that Jesus wasn't doing these things. In fact, they, they know that he had done many signs, including raising Lazarus from the dead. And it, it was self-explanatory because if you wanted to see the effect of Jesus' power, of who he was, you could just go talk to that guy named Lazarus. And so in our text, it's amazing that these Pharisees and Sadducees uh, and Caiaphas concede that point. They say, okay, Jesus is performing things and doing things that we couldn't do. He is performing signs and performing miracles. They concede that point. Now, what's interesting though is, is what those signs ultimately um, moved these men to do. And that's really where kind of the layers get peeled back on their hearts and we get a view of what was truly, truly their motivation and what was truly in their heart. Um, specifically, uh, we're looking at what they call the Sanhedrin or Sanhedrin. Um, it was a group of 70 men made up of Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes uh, that were the ruling, religious ruling council in Israel at that time. And so um, they, had, they had authority within religious, uh, the religious realm. And so they would govern the religious and spiritual life of the Israelites. Now, here's what the real sad part about that is, is that um, in their governing of the religious life of the Israelites, they had gone beyond scripture and what God had laid out for them. And they had added all kinds of what we call hedge laws around God's laws. And so um, God gave them laws and directions, said, um, live your life in this way, do these things. These are things that are going to bless you. But that Sanhedrin, Pharisees and Sadducees, had taken it upon themselves to add in law after law after law, layer after layer after layer. And what it had resulted in was 
an incredibly spiritually heavy load for the Israelites to the point where Jesus calls the people of Israel like sheep without a shepherd, that they didn't have somebody that actually cared for them in their religious leaders, that all those religious leaders were doing were heaping more and more rules and regulations and do this and don't do that and, and legal requirements upon the shoulders of these Israelites. Now, here's what it resulted for many of them. Um, some of them maybe would try to, to do everything that the Pharisees were saying, um, and it would lead towards self-righteousness, right? So at least I'm a little better than that my neighbor over there because I go to church and I do my sacrifices and I don't work on the Sabbath and I do these things. And um, at least I'm a little bit better than that guy over there. And so it, it would encourage a spiritual um, comparison, right? And ultimately that just led to self-righteousness. At least I'm not that poor sucker over there. But the other sad way that sometimes it would go uh, is that it was such a load and such a, a burden upon the shoulders of these Israelites that they simply gave up. They just said, well, who can do it? Who would want to do it? Too much time, too costly. I don't know what it leads to. I don't know what the heart of it is. I not, don't know the purpose of this. And all that, that is happening is our religious leaders are telling us to do more, give more, act in certain ways, and unfortunately, many within Israel had simply just given up, right? In despair, had just said, enough of it. I don't want any more of it. Well, it's into that religious scene that Jesus appears. It's into that religious scene that Jesus comes and performs miracles and, and forgives and, and opens the heart of God and the, the loving heart of God and ultimately um, reveals the, the promise of the Savior of whom he was. And so that's what's happening here. And um, the high priest named Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin um, really get, get their inner motivations revealed at this sign that Jesus had performed. And one of the real ironic things about this is earlier in Jesus' ministry, um, these same Pharisees and Sadducees had actually demanded signs of Jesus. They said, if you truly are the Son of God, then give us a sign. If you are this person, then, then give us a sign. Do these things, and, and, then, and then we'll believe in you, right? Well, that's the irony of our text here today. Guess what Jesus had done? Oh, yeah, those signs. He had actually done it. He, in fact, he stepped right into what they demanded, and yet that's how their hearts are revealed. It didn't lead these men to faith, it actually revealed their hatred of Jesus and their unbelief. And really, that's the heart of what's happening here. And you can get a sense of it even from our text. These men didn't have any interest in uh, the good of their people that they were ruling over. They didn't have any interest in the good of their neighbors around them. They didn't have any, any interest in healing. The only thing they had interest in was retaining the limited power that they had. And you see how they kind of violently react to that. You say, if Jesus keeps doing these things, everyone's going to believe in him. Well, as believers, we would say, what's so bad about that? Well, nothing, that's awesome, right? But not to these men. Because if people believed in Jesus, they would not be looking to them and they would lose their earthly power, their earthly influence. And that's the last thing that they wanted to have happen. And so they reacted with violence. In fact, this is the first domino that starts to fall towards, that's going to lead towards Jesus' death on the cross. And the point of our text here today uh, takes place about 
two months, a couple months um, before Jesus' eventual death on the cross. But we see already here um, the spark that, that, that is igniting this flame, um, this first domino that is going to tip. These men decide in their hearts uh, that they're going to, to try to persecute and ultimately kill Jesus. Well, they end that with a statement from Caiaphas saying this, you do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. And from a pragmatic or practical standpoint, it almost makes some sense, doesn't it? In fact, it clearly made sense in Caiaphas's mind, just not in the way that God was going to use it. In Caiaphas's mind, he thought, if I simply remove this domino, if I remove Christ, if I remove Jesus from this situation, that's going to be the end of it. We're not going to have to worry about him any longer. We will retain our power and our influence if we remove him from the equation. Now, the reality of it is, is there was, it was nothing close to that. In fact, God was going to use these men unwittingly to be the first to topple that domino, which ultimately led to Jesus' victory and our victory. But that desire to hold on to their power, I think we understand that, don't we? Because we do it. And I think we're lying to ourselves if we think we don't, right? Because each and every one of us uses um, the, the levers of power that we feel we have within our own lives and within our own relationships, right? Have you ever manipulated a relationship? Have you ever conveniently left some things out or said things in a certain way in order to manipulate a relationship or a person or a situation? Husbands and wives, have you, ever, have you ever made power plays within your marriage, right? Um, exerting your power, maybe physically, maybe, maybe verbally, um, maybe behind the scenes, but ultimately exerted your power, pulled those levers of power that you had, not for the good of your spouse, but selfishly for your own good. It happens within families too, doesn't it? As family dynamics come and go and, and, and kids bicker and argue between one another and people jockey for position and to try to grasp a hold of the limited power that they have. We see it within the workplace uh, as workers and coworkers and bosses and employees jockey for position and pay and influence and respect. We see it within the, the halls of our government continually, um, just a, a daily living of pulling levers of power for your own good. We see it between nations. We see it in our world. We see it all over the place. This continual battle of trying to gain power and hold onto it. And so when we see what Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin are doing, I think we can understand it because when we're being honest with ourselves, we do it. We have used our power for, um, not for, the good of others, but selfishly for our own good. Jesus' sign in our text today peeled back the reality of the selfishness that these men um, had in their hearts. At the start of Lent, it's maybe a good opportunity for us to peel back our own hearts as well. Uh, Lent is a, is a remarkably historic time of the year where Christians, Christians, um, focus on Jesus and prepare our hearts for Jesus' resurrection. But it's a time of repentance. It's a time of, of um, at times, ashes, uh, tears of sorrow. Some people have called it a little more meditative or, or a pensive season. And I think all of those 
Things are absolutely true of Lent. And I think that's one of the beautiful things of the season of Lent is that it, it causes us to take a step back and maybe peel back the layers of our own heart and inspect our own motivations. And I think when we do that, we come to the very same place that these men in our text were, that far too often we use the limited power we have, not for the good of the people that God has put into our lives, but for our own selfish gain. We simply do that. Lent, the beauty of Lent, is that it reveals that. It at least allows us to be honest about that. Now, what's our reaction, though? Because that's the hard part. When we peel back the layers of our heart, what does that mean for us? Well, for you and I, it, it's a degree of vulnerability, isn't it? And if you're anything like me, it's not super comfortable. Right? We don't want to talk about it. I barely want to think about it, right? The times that I've been selfish, um, the, the sins that I've committed, the times where I have, I have um, selfishly watched out just for myself rather than for my wife, my kids, the people in my church, in my community, my neighbors, or anyone else around me, right? And so um, there's a, a vulnerability that comes with the season of Lent. And any time that we go to our Lord in repentance and, and lay ourselves at the foot of the cross, but there's something incredibly necessary about that too. For us as believers, I would argue that it's absolutely necessary that we're willing to be vulnerable before our God above and even in front of the people in our lives. Take for instance, uh, within a family. If family members aren't willing to be vulnerable with one another, you won't find a very loving family. If husbands and wives aren't willing to be vulnerable with one another, you won't find a very loving marriage, nor one that'll last very long. See, the reality, some of the best things in life come from us opening our hearts and putting ourselves out there, um, living our lives selflessly rather than selfishly. Now, here's what you're thinking, and I know because you felt it, and so have I. When we live our lives like that, we open ourselves up to hurt, don't we? It's true. When we live our lives selflessly, vulnerably, we also open ourselves up to hurt because our hearts have been broken. At times, people will stomp on our feelings and our emotions and we will be sinned against. And the reality of it is, there's no solution for that. Living in this life and living in a way that is transparent and vulnerable at times will cause us pain. But here's the encouragement. When we do that, we're following in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior. And when we do that, we are opening ourselves up and the relationships in which that we are in to greater love and depth than we could ever know if all we did was guard our hearts and, and, our, and our lives. That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't wall off his life. Uh, he had all the power in the world and yet he made himself vulnerable, opening himself up even to death on a cross. And so you see the perfect example of it and the reality of it in Jesus, that he was willing to walk to the cross, to die on that cross for you and I. And so if anything, Lent is an opportunity for us to strip things back, but ultimately see our Lord and Savior and know that 
we are forgiven and we are loved. And that leads to the second half of our text here today, because remember that middle verse was kind of the fulcrum. We saw how the power of the Pharisees and Sadducees and Sanhedrin, they used power, earthly power, for their own good. Now we're going to see how God used his ultimate power for our good. Go on in verse 40, or verse 50. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Now, what's really fascinating um, that John kind of takes us through here is, is kind of a, a, a verbal stepladder walking us through the, the incredible impact of exactly what Caiaphas was saying, what, it ultimately, what ultimately happened, and then ultimately what it means for you and I. Um, and so he starts out talking about Caiaphas's words, right? It's better that one man die for the nation than that the whole nation perish. Caiaphas wasn't a believer. He didn't believe in Jesus. He actually thought that maybe he could snuff Jesus out and this would be the end of it. And yet, Caiaphas, this unbeliever, makes one of the greatest proclamations of exactly why Jesus had come to earth. It was exactly for that. Jesus' substitutionary work, that he would die in our place in order to bring us close to God. In fact, our text says that one man died for the people. I think maybe a little bit better translation is in place of the people. So uh, it's the Greek word huper, which means in place of. It's a substitutionary idea. So Jesus is going to take the place of the people, all people of all time. Christ would bear the sins that we committed. This is Jesus' substitutionary work. And in our text here today, from the mouth of an unbeliever, we see the first domino um, fall as Jesus walks diligently and patiently and humbly towards that cross, his substitutionary work on our behalf. Now, what's really fascinating is that John kind of takes us, takes us through this progression, and he talks about um, Jesus dying for the people, and he talks about nations, but then ultimately he ends with um, to make us children of God. So this is kind of where John is taking us. He's saying um, Jesus is going to, to be our substitute. He is going to stand in our place and pay the price which we could not. He's going to do that for nations. He's going to do that for nations that are made up of people. And then ultimately, those people of which we are a part are going to be made children of God through his work. And so you kind of get this stepladder of, of discussions of groups of people, and you start thinking nationalistically in the Jewish people and the Israelites, but then John boils it down to, well, those nations are all made up of actual people, human beings in this world, right? Um, but then ultimately, John ends with, because of Jesus, because of his substitutionary work, we are now children of God. So you've gone from being a nation and a people to actually being part of a family. That's what Jesus has done for us. That's what his substitutionary work does for us. We could argue that without understanding Jesus' substitutionary work, we don't truly understand the heart of Christianity. And here it is. As this domino falls, it will end at the cross. Jesus' death, but ultimately his resurrection. See, that huge domino at the end, the one that, that we could not push over on our own or conquer on our own, 
ultimately was death. It wasn't about nations or the Romans or the Sanhedrin or even you and I. Ultimately, it was about Christ conquering death on our behalf. That's the path that Christ walks during Lent on our behalf. That's the victory you have. As we, as we walk through Lent in repentance, we are assured, you are assured that your sins are forgiven, that because Christ was victorious, you are victorious, that the cause and effect of Jesus' substitutionary work was that he gave his life so that you would have eternal life in eternity with him. No more guilt, no more shame, and to be honest, no more necessity to wield our earthly power for our own selfish means. It allows us to live a life that gives glory to our God above and loves our neighbor as ourself. It allows us as believers to open our hearts even at times when maybe they, they are, are damaged and hurt. But we are able to open our hearts and to forgive and to love and to share Christ because that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. Christ's victory at the cross means our victory. It means we can live our lives not in fear, not behind um, uh, hearts that are walled off to the world, not in selfishness, not in, in um, power manipulations in our relationships or in our workplaces, but we can live our lives as believers transparently and honestly and vulnerably, knowing that we are forgiven and offering that forgiveness to others. Amen. And at this time, we continue with our offering. As always, we thank you in advance for your generosity. Your donations help us share Jesus with our community right here in Carbon Valley. And, and so we thank you for those thank offerings. Uh, you're welcome to give either online, which is what most of our members do, or you're, or you're also welcome to send those gifts in to us. Uh, you're going to find that address uh, where you can send those in the bulletin uh, in the link on the website where you're watching this video. So uh, let's see, this weekend we want to remember... Um, a few people and situations in our prayers. Uh, the first is we want to remember all of those who are suffering or hurting in Texas uh, in the aftermath of that storm, loss of power, loss of water. Um, even today, the, the many people are still suffering, still kind of enduring and, and moving without, uh, without clean drinking water, even though the, the heat has started to come back on. So we're asked that the Lord continues to be with them. Uh, we also have a prayer today, uh, continued prayer on behalf of my daughter Tatum. Uh, who continues to struggle with the complications from her autoimmune disease um, and hasn't had a particularly great week. So we're asking the Lord continues to be with her. So let's go to our Lord in prayer on this weekend. Lord, we come to you on behalf of all of those who may have been affected by the most recent cold snap and storms that uh, raced across our country. We remember especially those in Texas, uh, many millions who were without power, without clean drinking water. Lord, we ask that you spare their lives. We ask that, that um, they are able to restore not only electricity, but also clean drinking water, and they're able to move on with their lives. Uh, so continue to be with them during this difficult time. We also ask that you continue to be with Tatum as she struggles with uh, some of the complications from her disease. Uh, be with her, give her strength, give her body um, healing, and ultimately give her patience and endurance uh, as, she, as she suffers some of these these ongoing um, um, complications. And now, Lord, hear us as we bring you our private prayers and petitions.
And now you're welcome to join along with me in speaking the words of the Lord's Prayer. You're going to find that um, on page six of your bulletin. Um, welcome to speak these words along with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all this weekend and in the coming week. Amen. Thanks for joining us again this week. We'll see you again here next week.